This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowships. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. The title of our message this morning is The Weaknesses of Woman, Part 2. You ladies ready for more characteristics of woman? After this, we're going to tackle the sensitive subject of manhood. And that is going to be quite a series. The cool thing about ladies learning about men is that that is what they're supposed to be empowering their men with. So it's really, when you speak of manhood, you're actually uh, speaking of womanhood too because she is taken from his side. So whatever you say about him is true about her. But that is not the case in regard to whatever is true about the woman is true about the man. So I will explain that more as we get through that series, but... um, it is very significant in understanding the power of marriage and the contract that God gave us through a decree between man and woman is the starting place for the eternal decree that God places on his son. We get accepted into this contract as bridal members of Christ. It is not a result of our decision. Okay, so that's where I want to start, actually. So I want you gals to uh, tell us what is that one characteristic that you dislike about not yourselves in respects of being a human being, that you dislike about yourself in respects of being woman. Or do you love everything about yourself? (laughs) Fixing everything? Okay, that's a good one. I mean, it's not a good one, but I mean, it's a good one. It's a good, bad one. Not necessarily the same one. Yeah, and that... Yeah, her father... That is one of the primary uh, teaching bullets we're going to go after over the next couple months. The problems you see existing between men and women today start at that point. So women usually get frustrated and say, well, then I'm just going to start communicating to the man like a man. I find that often in text messages. So they think that I like these male text message responses, and I don't. And uh, or on a telephone conversation, a man will oftentimes chop off much of what he even really wants to say. So in a text message, if you can imagine, if a phone message of what you'll get out of him in real lifetime squeezes down to this, 
and then you get him on the phone, it squeezes down to this, and you get him on a text message, and it squeezes down to this. So what happens to women is they think, well, that's how i got to communicate to this guy. And that's what will destroy your relationship. But I'm actually going to show you a formula of communication from the garden of how women are supposed to fill in the blanks. But then we have to address the issue of men not being threatened by that ability. But that is a, that's, a, that's a significant one. Fear is another significant one, which leads to control. So as we go through the rest of these 16 characteristics, you might view some of them as kind of not, not so nice. But in reality, they are strengths of a woman, but oftentimes have liabilities to them. So every strength has a liability. Someone give me an example of that. Every strength has a liability. Okay? The gifts that the Lord has blessed us with are actually manifestations of the characteristics of the face of God. That's from the Hebrew. So every spiritual gift that is stated in the Bible, administration, exhortation, pastoring, prophecy, all 18 occupational and all 25 functionals are manifestations of the face of God. You're actually learning about the face of God when you study the spiritual gifts stated in the scriptures. So administration, the liability of administration is a legalist. You see, all the issues that Paul, Peter, and the rest of them address in the scriptures are addressing the liability of a spiritual gift. So if you move the person back under functioning effectively under administration, they will not be legalistic. So a pastor, the liability of a pastor, and you move that over into uh, a, a liability, it is someone who's a slacker. They're just too relaxed. They don't make a big enough deal about the law. Do you understand that? That's why we need every single part of the body of Christ. So what gets us in trouble is we start judging each other because someone doesn't function in administration like I do. Someone doesn't care for people like I do. Someone is not as good as counselor like I am that's when we get in trouble. The easiest way for you to remember what I'm saying is this. The whole Bible in its entirety from beginning to end is exemplifying one thing. The face of God. The spiritual gifts are the manifestations given to mankind to get snapshots of the face of God. Of God. He's an administrator. He's a counselor. 
He's a pastor. And all the way through the list. So he, he slices off portions of his face, his image, and he gives them to mankind. So when mankind, his body, moves together and functions just like a human body, you literally have the function of the church. Without judgment, without rejection, without all that stuff that we were praying through, reading about, and probably was in your devotions this past week. That's as simple as the word is. But everyone wants to take ownership and write a book about their spiritual gift and get their name signed to it and, and make some money off of it and, and, and wear their own crown and, and shine like it. That's what the world is doing to the face of God through spiritual gifts. Therefore, gifts can be used for self-glory. Women are professionals of self-glory. And that's what I'm going to show you now. Men, you say, oh, men, you know, and they're buffing their bodies and they're whatever. Yes, humans, period, love to steal glory. But the woman is the picture of glory. Radiant glory. So it becomes her greatest liability. Here's what we covered before. Number one was timid. Number two, she's loving and affection, affectionate. And number three... Uh, was the issue of her covering. And the piece I did not throw in there before after I listened to the, the recording was that um, we spent most of our time talking about the covering her hair and we talked a little bit about the covering her body and how important it was to show the world how Jesus Christ wants his bride covered because the parts that are covered belong solely to Jesus Christ. And no eyes of the world are supposed to see those parts because they belong to somebody else. Uncovering transfers ownership. Please remember that. Uncovering transfers ownership. So Satan is into uncovering. If he can get people to uncover themselves, he is literally moving the ownership issue over to his domain. Now I want to show you something very quickly. I think everyone in this room is familiar with the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, even the children. And after Satan did his thing in getting the person to bite into that fruit, something immediately, absolutely, immediately happened. What was it? Naked and ashamed. The first ten words in the Bible before the fall and the first ten words after the fall are going to be the most significant words to our studies the rest of our lives. And when we experience 
the fall in the garden, we have to look at the first 10 key things that happened Adamically as a result of the fall. Those are the things that Satan is going to get good at. Those are the things he's going to focus his time and effort on. So here, the first thing that happens is Eve looks at herself and she is naked and immediately ashamed. What once became parts that were supposed to uh, nourish and cherish and multiply life become embarrassment, become shame. Now I can run that all the way through and you're going to have to stay with me on this coding because of the children, but from that moment move it all the way into 2011 when you look at plastic surgery that is going on in the world today you will see what Satan has done just to this parts, unbecoming parts where shame entered in and how so much of life is centered around those parts to the point where I've had counselees spend $35,000 of their own money because insurance won't cover it of their own money to do certain types of plastic surgery and in one case the husband didn't even want it done it's because it's not what men want. It's what the women experience in shame. That's the piece I want you to connect to. She will not cover her children if she does not cover herself. She will not cover her children spiritually if she is not covered herself. She will not cover her children relationally if she's not covered herself. That's how it works. So when we look at the Proverbs 31 woman, she is all about, just go and reread it again, she's all about covering, finding the proper linens, covering them with everything from food to clothing, shelter. She's all about covering. There's a lot behind number three. And by the way, Satan took, and the illustration I use with guys when I'm helping them through immoral issues, is on one side of the street there is this gallery that has absolutely zero sin in it. And you walk into this gallery and there's pictures of the transparency of the way God made these human bodies. And... Uh, nature and 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 then what happened after the garden is the enemy opened up a shop across the street where you walk in there and you feel a little bit embarrassed when you're in there but it's got all the same naked bodies it's got all the same undressing it's got all the same nature things but when you walk in there there's just this sense of this is I shouldn't be looking at this Which one becomes alluring? The new shop across the street. Why? 
Because what God, what God digested was shame and doubt and confusion in that fruit. There was no change in the human bodies. There was no change in the artwork. What changed was shame connected with purity. And the woman is the one who is to rid the family of that problem by filling in the blanks in her husband's life. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, which we're going to spend a lot of time on down the road. Number four, tender. She's sensitive and caring towards others and often feeling emotions intensely. Now, there's a lot of people that have written books about how women are, women are wired different emotionally. They're not. <laughs> I have a lot of emotional counselees that are men. You see, how a man processes his emotions oftentimes is different than how a woman processes their emotions. True. Because of the way they are built and the way they are designed. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. These are characteristics of God the Father. One of God's names is called Breasted One. It is a the absolute closest description of a relationship between two human beings. There are many women who actually stay pregnant just so that they can nurse a child. Because there is nothing more intimate. It brings the intimacy that she's lacking up and out of her life and puts it to work. And oftentimes that can rise above her husband, which are obviously issues we deal with in counseling from time to time. Number five is worth in jewels. Her goodness and the goodness that you see in a woman and the goodness that you see in a man are very, very different. And her goodness has been measured out as being worth more than gold and silver and any kind of jewel that God has placed on the earth. But that's her goodness. That's why men in the birthday cards and anniversary cards of their wives oftentimes are saying something about how good they are. And if the guys aren't doing that, she will go get her compliment somewhere. She is the jewels in his crown. Her goodness is the jewels in her husband's crown. Now what he does with that crown is a whole different issue. But that's what she is. A good woman is, is something that a good man loves to wear in public. He wants to show everyone 
This is my good woman. Look at my jewels. Anyone who's used to a cultural identification like that knows when you look at the crown, you're not looking at the man. You're looking at the woman. You see, if I would walk downtown Sterling with a crown on my head with all these precious stones in it, people would probably look at me <laughs> a little bit weird. Finney's lost the edge again. But see, back then, it was a symbol of the woman. This, this is the woman. A lot of African tribes to this very day, when you look upon the man's clutter, his colors, you are seeing how many wives he has and how these wives are rated in their society. It's a very old, old symbol that, by the way, is never going to die out. We, too, have crowns as bridal members. And we have jewels in our crowns according to our goodness. Remember? But what do we do with these crowns? Anybody? We cast them at his feet. And that's what a woman is supposed to be doing with her husband. All of her goodness she's supposed to be casting at her husband's feet. No. The average standard of today is to flaunt your own skills. Flaunt your own glory. Flaunt your own abilities. And let's see if the man can catch up with us. Well, we won't. There are so many good things that God took out of the man and put into the woman that if she does not put them back into him, we lose. And I hope you caught that little formula. God took it out of the man, formed the woman. If she doesn't put it back in the man, we lose. You are responsible for a lot of our losses. Because we don't have it. We're clueless. We can't fill in the lines. We can't. Men, if you want to accuse men of being dumb and duh, well, duh. We cannot live alone. It is not good for man to be alone. Or duh. Well, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what to think today. That's how a lot of men are. Because they're either not allowing their women to fill in the blanks in their life, or they simply don't have a woman to fill in the blanks. But can you imagine if every woman that walked the face of the earth was filling in the blanks of every man, saved or unsaved? You'd have a very functional world. But that's not going to happen, I'm afraid, at least from what I read in prophecy. Number six is to be praised. Now, I know that men love to be praised, particularly see it in sports and those kinds of arenas. But see, a woman is the one that is supposed to be praised. But see, there's something unique about the original design. She turns around and praises her man. So every time you praise her, he gets praised. Well, I think that's how it's supposed to be. If either one of them hold on to the praise, 
Because the man is supposed to take his place and, and put it at the Creator's feet. Oh God, the woman which thou hast given me, she is above all women. She is, you know. Praise never stops at the man. But it does begin at the woman. Please remember that. It doesn't start with the man. It starts with women. But the man is never to keep it, ever. His responsibility is, to, is like a flow. He's to move things, going this way. Down line and up line. That's what a man's job is. Down line and up line. When it stops here for too long, we have problems. And women tend to react to that. Number seven. She does have the tendency to be a little bit careless from time to time. Lack of self-control in pursuing your own pleasures or your own satisfaction. Now that is what Gail was talking about earlier in regard to this control thing. Most women would not label themselves careless. They probably actually would say, no, my husband is more careless than I am. But see, care less doesn't come from the American definition. Careless comes from the Hebrew definition. And that is out of control. Refusing control. I must be in control. That is a careless woman. So anytime a woman tries to have control over a given area, she is careless. Because she's not giving care to her authority. Therefore, she becomes careless. Because she's interpreted that he or she who is in control is he or she who is cared for. Since he doesn't care for me, I will care for myself. Therefore, I will take control. Care and control are brother and sister, if not twins. Number eight, led by impulses, sudden desire, urge, or inclination. This is a very famous verse that many people use. It's not any more famous than the rest of them, but it's used a lot. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. 2 Timothy 3.6 This baby's packed with a lot of dynamic truth. For among them, who is the them? It is every household in Jerusalem. Now the enemy is waiting until the head of the home leaves the house. Just like in the garden. He was waiting just so that Adam was just far enough beyond voice tone. Hearing the voice. And he goes in and he captivates Eve who is a weaker vessel. That didn't start after the fall. Weakness is not a sinful word. It is a description of 
an element of truth. She was formed weak. She was taken from Adam's weak side. She was his weakness. They need each other. So among them are those who entered into households and captivate weak women. So the enemy is prowling around all these households and he is waiting until the authority figures leave the households and then these individuals come into these households, whether it's by spirit or by person, they come into these households and they captivate the weak women, which is a normal, natural, neutral word, weighed down with sins. So now we have an issue of sins. What are these sins that the women are weighed down with? Well, we're kind of going through the list right now. And, and they're... they're they're weighted with these things. And so the way to get weighted women is through cheap doctrines. So led on by various impulses, always learning, but never able to come to the full knowledge of truth. Women can't come to the full knowledge of truth without a man. And that man ultimately is Jesus Christ. And without Jesus Christ, the bride members of Jesus Christ can never come to truth. It is impossible for us to arrive at truth in our devotions unless the man completes his job. Do you understand that? It is no different between a man and a woman. She cannot grasp the full definition of truth in a given situation without her man. And if she's not married, it's her father. If it's a rebellious father, it is Jesus Christ directly. But it is a man. It is a masculine figure that finishes the learning. I know women who learn and learn and learn and learn and they still don't show victory. Zilch. It's because that man is either not stepping up and finishing the learning process, which we're going to spend a couple months talking about, how he's to do that, or there is no man in her life to finish up the learning process. Women are competent learners. They are incompetent finishers. And I'm including the bride of Christ. Us. I can learn every day in my devotions. I, the Greek and Hebrew, and I could wear myself silly studying the finer points of scriptures. But it does me absolutely Nothing unless Jesus Christ brings it all the way around the loop to truth that sets me free. It takes a man for that. Jesus Christ. And the man in the marriage is symbolic. 
of that role. So women who think that they can do it without their husbands are classically what is called in the scriptures as stupid. Yes, the Bible uses the term stupid. It's not an, it is an insult, but it doesn't mean a swear word. It means knowing the right thing to do, but refusing to live it. That's stupid. It's not a swear word. It's a true word that defines this. You learn, and you learn, and you learn, but you, you just can't let that guy, my husband, my father, my spiritual authority, finish the journey for me. That's okay. Die independent. You'll die without victory. Women need men to have victory. Men need women to get to victory. Now, there are special cases like Paul and others that God says, I'm going to play this role directly in your life. Women too, like Nancy Lee DeMoss. I will play this role directly with you. And he does. But you've got to have the man. That's the point. Number nine, covers herself when authority is present. Now, we even live in a community that is surrounded by communities that are into the little beanies and, you know, these little coverings. Most of the time, I just see it as a bunch of legalism. Because as I'm watching the ladies, I don't see this. I don't see this respectful behavior that this symbolizes. In fact, I actually see the opposite around here. I've only counseled a couple who have been in that world that have shown me the proof that covering their head is nothing but legalism unless it's united by truth. And the only way you can unite it by truth is by submitting to the man. Do you understand that? Why are they wearing the beanies if they're not submitting to the men? What's the point? Why is the Jewish guy wearing the beanie unless he's submitting to the rabbi? What's the point? There is no point. It's called a baseball cap. That's what it is. It has zero value besides fashion. Unless it is actually communicating a strategic piece of the design of woman. Number 10, reflect God's beauty. The combination of qualities that make something pleasing and impressive to listen to or touch or especially to look upon. Women, as I don't think it's argued by many, are created, formed, with a very special beauty. And that beauty is to be introducing men, supposedly, to a beauty of the body of Christ. If they take 
that beauty and use it to get attention. Because remember, one of their things is affection. If they use it to get attention on themselves, instead of showing the world what the body of Christ, how beautiful the body of Christ is, then what we're going to have is the issue of lust. So men will tend to look at this, this reflected beauty of God's face and they will see something that they can obtain for themselves. But she is designed to actually be beautiful, even if you look homely. Whoever came up with that word, it's kind of a compliment to be at home. And But you know what? To God, it is the absolute reflection of the beauty of his face. Now, how she fits in the ratings that man, actually Satan, created for her in that gallery over there, well, I guess that's up to her. Shame demands ratings. Shame demands competition. Shame demands a scale. Where do I fit in life? So over at the gallery across the street, every woman wants to know, how do I fit in the average, you know, my, oh, I'm, down right, I'm down here compared to those ladies that have their pictures hanging on the wall. So Satan has created a rating system like grading your kid's paper. A, B, C, D, Got to skip E, of course, because that's excellence. F, for failure. That's why in a lot of homeschool training programs, they say don't use the rating system, but just point out the things that need to be corrected. Because Satan has created a rating system. And he wants humans to kind of take their little round peg and put it into that 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 peg of whether I'm a failure, I'm okay, I'm average, or I'm above average. So women particularly fall into that temptation when it comes to their external beauty. Because they've allowed Satan to decide what is beauty. Do you remember the scripture, I just can't bring you the reference, where it says Jesus was unbecoming in appearance. I once heard that from a teacher that says that translates out as ugly. I, I just think that's wonderful. Because I think I'm ugly. So, and to be associated with an ugly person like Jesus, I guess I'm in good company. But the point is, is that what God calls beautiful, I think God would look down on his son and go, you are beautiful, my son. And if he fell into Satan's little peg in the whole thing, you'd probably go, no, they, they tell me, they tell me, Dad, in Matthew 22, verse 8, that I'm unbecoming in appearance. I'm ugly. No, I don't think he would do that. He would say, Oh, any beauty that you see in me, Abba, came from your seed. 
So, I don't know what, what you ladies do with this when you stand in front of the mirror. You open up that little, that little magazine that came in the mail. But Satan wants you to rate yourself. So you'll spend money, effort, sweat, worry, doubts, fears on making sure you get that A someday. You never will. Any woman who makes herself more beautiful than what she was designed to be is one who is suffering stupidity. And that goes for all of us. She needs to be able to look in the mirror and say, this is who you, oh God, formed. I am well pleased with your work. But see, every year we get older and we get more wrinkles, right? So it does not mean we don't take care of ourselves because we are ordered by God to present ourselves as adequate living vessels that are cared for properly. Because you, you, you don't want to be called a slacker in, in the terms of not caring for what has been entrusted to you. And this body is one of the things that have been entrusted to us. Number 11 is seductive. We kind of already covered that a few minutes ago. But since she is the reflection of God's beauty, Satan had to get that beautiful Eve that was perfect in the sight of Adam, certainly perfect in the sight of God, and get her to the other side of the street into this dark art gallery. She had the same goods she had from this moment to that moment over there, but now all of a sudden she becomes a tool for seduction. Adam, I can't walk on that side of the street anymore, but uh, reach. You must have this. And so it worked because of previous teachings we talked about as one of her responsibilities is feeding. And then he came over to the other side of the street, so to speak, and joined her in the seductive gallery of sin. So now the private parts are now seductive when they were just reproductive parts 10 minutes ago. Now the other thing that happened, number two on the list, was that God came, which happened to be the second thing he asked of them when he came in the cool of the day and asked why Adam was hiding, so he dealt with the whole hiding thing first. And then he takes the naked bodies that, in his mind, don't need to be covered. And he sacrifices the first animal sacrifice. And takes the hide and he covers them, even though they had themselves covered. He covers them. And then what does Satan do? Satan spends the next 6,000 years getting them to take their clothes off. Do you see the simplicity of the ridiculousness of seduction? What God puts on, he wants off. 
Satan really does not care, ladies and, and, and guys. Satan does not care what these bodies look like. There's no value in it for him. He just does whatever God does opposite of whatever God does. He tries to undo what God does. So when God covers a body, he wants them uncovered. And what was uh, Ham's big sin? Someone remind me here. Yes, his eyes cast were cast upon his father's nakedness. What did his brothers do? They grabbed the blanket and they backed in, covered their patriarch, covered his shame, and walked out. His sin, I, I thought for years, was a, you know, that Noah was a little over the edge. I think he should have waited until his hangover was done before he disciplined him. But no. The eyes were not to see nakedness unless God granted contract thereof. It's called marriage. And it was, it was permeated throughout all of culture. So the reason why God destroyed the earth through the flood is because they wouldn't hold to that. There was the absolute rebellion of undressing each other to the point of God saying, I am finished with this. And he washes it away. And where does it happen again? With one of the brothers. So what we look at, whether we see it as honoring God or honoring self becomes a huge thing for God. Number 12, to be modest in appearance, not drawing attention to or uh, discuss, disguise, what is, discussing sexual, oh yeah, or discussing sexuality is so unlikely to offend or arouse others. Men are the ones that have the tendency to do the joking and the uh, talking about this, but after I grew up and matured a little bit, I realized that women actually are very good at this. They have their own little private jokes. It's just now a lot of that private kind of exchange is now public. So this seduction goes both ways. It can't be pinned on the, on the male and it cannot be pinned on the woman. It is something that happened after we walked across that street. But it is absolutely true that if a woman is dressing modestly, she's preserving what is looked upon. See, Noah was drunk. The scriptures say he was drunk with too much wine because of the stress of the ark. Just go back and read it. He passes out. He was obviously naked. And his son walks into the tent, which is a no-no anyway. You do not walk into a patriarch's tent without permission. But he did for some reason. And we don't know the reasons why, and they probably weren't important because God didn't state them. And then, the rest of the story happened. So this is a significant thing to God in respects of 
modest. Yes, Noah should have made sure his body was covered if he was going to get soused. Or maybe Noah was relying upon the law, the rule at hand is you don't walk in on an authority's room. Just like your children don't walk in on a master bedroom when the parents are in there. I don't know. So there's a responsibility both ways. The woman needs to cover herself in such a way that she's protecting his eyes. Because we're going to learn here in the next couple months that is one of his greatest weaknesses is to undress with the eyes. And that's why Jesus said to these men in Matthew 5, he who looks upon a woman to have her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That is one of the, the greatest weaknesses of man. Number 13. Teachers of young women. As our famous passage in Titus 2.4. Now, I know we are in a society where the pastor of the church does all the counseling with the couple and or individuals and whatever, and yes, it is appropriate for the for the pastor of the church or a male counselor to be counseling, you know, uh, wives and women in general and whatever, there are certainly rules that we need to take into uh, play in regard to protecting her and protecting him and having a woman with you when you're doing counseling and blah, blah, blah. But that's because of the authority structure is different that a woman is not to exercise authority over the man or even to teach the man, whereas the man has openness to teach the woman. Again, we will be discussing many details with that down the road, but the ladies are to be the teachers of these younger women. Men are not to be the teachers of these younger women. They can be preachers. They can be uh, proclaiming the truth. They can be giving correction and guidance and direction and whatever. But when it comes to the practicality of showing that woman how all this works, you ladies need to be doing this. Not the guys. Because the guy's only going to share it from a guy's perspective. And he could be well read on how women do it and do an okay job. But the facts are, this is where all your teaching and exercise and authority goes. Right there. Because without healthy women, men will go to debauchery. They will. Without healthy women, the world will go into a downward spiral. Satan knows that. And that's why he's turning everything opposite of the original function. Where you will have women who will be presidents and pastors and, and every venue of authority within just a few short years, you're going to have women in those full-on responsible positions. Because he knows what I just said is the truth. The young women will be ignored. Whenever a woman is teaching a man, she's going to ignore her children. So all Satan's got to do is to get her teaching the men. And the children will suffer. Meanwhile, you have CRC come along. What's CRC, those of you who attended the conference? 
Convention on Rights of What? Children. Children. The UN has this plan, CRC, which was signed by President Clinton. It's just now being put to use. The very UN knows women are not doing their job anymore. So what are they doing? What are they proposing? That the UN manages the children of the world. I've been told there's a curriculum to follow CRC. That every child's going to be on the same curriculum all over the world in every country. There's only two countries that haven't signed on to it. America is one of them. Only two. See, so see, sure the woman may feel like she's beyond men now. But the children are being left. And the UN, the Antichrist system, has accomplished its goal. Satan always works from the bottom up. Animal rights, children, women, husband. That's how it works. He's already there. It's not coming. It is already happening. Number 14. Responsible for celebrations. If you don't believe me, just watch Jess. We call her the uh, party animal. Party planner animal. Party planner animal woman. <laughs> Better stop while I'm behind. <laughs> so, but it's true. Women do remember the cards and they remember the balloons and they remember, you know, making someone feel special when it's, you know, and the guys are kind of showing up at the parties and every once in a while you'll have a guy that's a little more sensitive than the other guy and he'll bring a balloon or some flowers or something. Which is great because mothers should be teaching their boys how to bring flowers to the neighbor's house when you go for dinner and remember those things. Because that's needed in marriage, remember? How many of you ladies still appreciate getting flowers from your husband or father? Of course. So, this is one of the key elements of bonding for women is celebration. If she can turn that house into a party every day when he comes home, it does keep him alive. People love parties. Fifteen, mourn for the death. She definitely has a connection there. Every once in a while you'll be watching television or something and you'll be hearing a father groan and mourn loudly because he lost his child in some battle or something. But the wailing of a woman, oh my. That level of pain and grief only she can feel. And even when she goes to assist a sister who is suffering in mourning. There's a connection there that even a caring neighbor father type would come over and say, you know, Susie, it's going to be okay. God's around you. He'll care for you. Know, he could say all the right things and provide some comfort. But it's when he walks by and gets some apple pie and the woman 
his woman walks up behind and puts her arm around her, she falls apart. Because there is something God has given her to get into that level of comfort. Steve? Yes? That's probably that. Because they comfort. They comfort. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Think about that. Hmm. Guys do tend to mourn privately and inwardly, and a lot of times their wives don't even know that they're mourning. Big difference there. Finally, number 16 is tender. Sensitive and caring toward others and often feeling emotions intensely. Didn't we have tender before? Yeah, yeah. we did. Okay, she's double tender. I'm going to have to go back over my notes and find out what, uh, what that last one was. But yeah, she's tender. That's a, that's a very, uh, very tender, intense, tender one right there. So here is our summary. The scriptures forbid women to oversee men doctrinally. Many Christians interpret this passage as proof that women shouldn't uh, give input or advice to men. The intent of this passage uh, comes from keeping God, uh, from God keeping unity between man and woman. Women tend to give help or guidance from any leader that will offer it, at the price, oftentimes, of losing their husbands or fathers to get it. And that is that cheap doctrine thing we were talking about. Cheap doctrines come in through the radio, through the television, through the internet, through books that you're reading. And just taking the topic of books alone, uh, rarely do you see men out there hunting for the latest book on some topic. They are like that. Some are like that. But it's typically women that will comb over teachers and take in a lot of what they're saying, and then they'll, they like it, they'll say, honey, you need to get to know this author. Where in reality, women should never be reading anything their man has not checked out. And, uh, and that's a safety mechanism uh, for this. So... It's a huge deal for the enemy to get into and captivate that woman through false teachers so that, as we know, people find churches because of the woman, not the man. It used to be the man would go out and find the church, but that's not the case anymore. Men follow the women to the churches they feel most comfortable in. Mm-hmm. When they go out, because they are out, and the women are home, and the women invite yep. that to their home when you sh the scripture don't even exactly. But see, if she's strong and she's in the Word and she, where she's thinking, okay, I can handle this and whatever. But it's the principle of when the authority is not present, Satan can take Eve. 
There was nothing wrong with Eve when Satan approached her. Nothing. She wasn't conniving. She wasn't sinning by being lured. So that's a principle that will go on until Satan is put into the pit of hell. Is he is going to lure the woman, but he's got to get the man out of the house. Men in general are insulted when their wives or daughters do not come to them for counsel. It's a technique I use in counseling all the time. Even though I could give her the answer, many times I say, go ask your husband. Well, he doesn't even know the word. I don't even think he's saved. Good. Because that'll be a nice, honest place for us to start. We are going to riddle him to death. Literally, for the death of the cross. We're going to riddle him to death with questions he can't answer. So he is driven to go somewhere for the answers. And when he says, I'll go ask your counselor, you're going to say, my counselor keeps telling me to go ask you. Well, tell him I don't have the answers. And she'll be ready for the answer. Well, he wants you to talk to him about what the answers are. He won't give them to me. Immediately, there's respect between the counselor, the advisor, the elder of the church, and the man. He's seeing this man is honoring what he wants. He's appealing to manhood. Every man wants to be a counselor, even if they're gay. It is in their design, even though I do not believe in gay and don't believe it is a male choice or any of that kind of stuff. I just wanted to make that clear. But it is in every man, every man, to want to be a counselor, to give advice, to give counsel. God instructs women to learn from their husbands slash fathers at home, preferably. Since women tend to look at others for guidance, this requirement assists the women to stay connected to the source of authority, their husbands and fathers. And then in 1 Timothy 2.11, God tells us the women are to receive instruction quietly and with entire submission. I will be spending lots of time on this communication thing as I told you about, but here's how it works. Anytime a woman interrupts the flow of a man, she has told him, I'm not interested in where and what you have to say. He may be starting out with good sound advice and all of a sudden he makes a left turn. And she feels that left turn being made. So she starts interrupting him. But, but just, you're not here. You're, and, and starts moving in her own effort him back to the right path. You've just destroyed the venue of communication from God. God will go silent. God has never forced communication when someone is opening their mouth. That is an amazing factor to me. He just goes silent and lets that bogus 
stuff that now is all labeled proper Christianity with women, he just lets it go for centuries. Because he's a gentleman. He's a respectable God. He understands you don't interrupt the flow of anointing. And if it's a little to the left or a little bit too far to legalism, God can straighten it out. But let him get it out of his mouth. And then do the three-second rule. It's out of his mouth. One, one thousand. Two, one thousand. Three, one thousand. Well, honey, I have a question. See, it's not stifling. It's helping him fill in the blanks that he left blank. Well, what's your question? Well, what did you mean when you said blah, blah, blah? Let him get it all out of his mouth. Remember the flow? All out of his mouth. Stop. One, one thousand. Two, one thousand. Three, one thousand. But didn't you say that blah, 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 and you may be excellent at putting all the little pieces together, and then he's kind of going, well, yeah, I did say that. That's not right. It's not what I read in the Word. Well, show me that. See, you have a healthy guiding your husband to the Word. It's powerful. But you want to Destroy your marriage? Interrupt it. And he will shut up. Men love to submit. It's one of their greatest flaws since the fall. Since the fall, women have struggled with taking counsel from men in general. They tend to verbally fight back when told to go to a, uh, go a given direction. God, obviously knowing the ramifications of the fall, puts these guidelines in place to preserve the women and their relationships. In verse 12, she is given the instruction not to exercise authority over a man. This is uh, due to the fall. Men are easily offended when women attempt to exercise authority over them. So the issue becomes careless. She does it anyway. She doesn't care. It's facts. She just doesn't care. And if you don't care, then you've just directed God's care somewhere else. He'll literally side with the ignorant man instead of the righteous babbling one. And I can read scripture after scripture on how God even supports the decision of that priest, that father, that head of home to keep things intact. Because God can always change the heart of the man. Always. But the babbling righteousness, it doesn't do anything but breed more silence for the man. So we have some very important things to learn in our next series. of How to respect each other's design. How to work with each other's design effectively. The word woman, as used in Matthew 15, 28, 
John 2, 4 and John 20, 13. John 20, 15, you can see all these on the download notes, implies tenderness, emotional, politeness side of creation and not disrespect. She literally is the politeness pro-light of God. And I just think that's beautiful. Men do tend to be rude. It's true. They're blunt. Here's the facts, ma'am, as the television show says. That is how men tend to function. Women are designed to be polite, gentle, sweet, caring, respectful. He learns those things from you. Jesus is male. He is who he submits to. Where's our females? How are men going to learn about the bride of Christ except for the women? That's why this is a huge issue. The message that we're going to kick off to start the mail series is to pick out the primary deceptions that women do tend to believe. How many have read uh, Nancy's book, Lies Women Believe? Okay. So it is a study that I did from that book. So some of it's going to sound familiar but there, uh, I just went into a venue as a male that uh, is going to help us with our transference from this topic over into uh, the deceptions that men tend to believe, which is where we're going to start the series, and then go on into the roles or truth that men should choose to believe and finish the series with that. We'll start that uh, next week. Thank you for joining us today. Heartland Family Fellowship is a local church plant here in Sterling, Kansas. Our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship. Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events, and we will work to keep the focus on God Jesus Christ and the body of Christ without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org. We thank you for joining us. Get yourself in a bind, lose a shirt off your back. Need a floor, need a couch, need a bus fare.